Today we continue our uh, series of sermons where we're talking about how we live out our personal life, our personal faith in our public lives, how we take what we talk about and, and uh, the things that we understand here and go out into the world and actually live it out. We've talked about, two weeks ago we talked about politics, last week we talked about modern culture, and, and we really talked about the things that butt up against each other in both of those areas, right? Uh, what we end up finding is we finding some things over here on the left that we say, you know, that's, there's truth there. I can, I can live that. I, I, I believe in that. And over here on the right, way out in this, we find some truth there and we say, you know, something, there's something there that I believe is right and we can live that. And what we find is we're in the middle sometimes. We're trying to bring these two things together and we're trying to do it in such a way that we end up, we end up being a bridge, connecting two things that normally would not be connected. So we have to take these things and we have to somehow put them together in a way that we live them out and we understand the differences. So, and it's true in all areas of life, whether it's uh, politi politics and culture or faith and theology, whether it's our own uh, morality and ethics, we have to look at these things and figure out how do we get to that place where we use the precepts of Jesus and what Jesus taught us uh, to make it right and to live it out. So today we're turning our attention to right and wrong. How do we make those decisions? How do we take something, uh, whether it's a, an issue in our personal lives or it's a national issue or an issue in our denomination, how do we take those things where we find the truth on both sides and we tie it together into that bridge? You know, because the truth is every one of us has bases. We have, we have a standard inside of us that helps us determine right and wrong. We know uh, by our own standard whether something's moral or immoral. And when we do the right thing, we live a moral life. But when we fail and do the wrong thing, we're living a wrong or immoral life. But what is that standard? What do we use when we're trying to make those decisions? When we think about personal things and the big issues that come upon us. Now, for many of us, we say, well, I'm a Christian, so I use what Jesus taught to do that. But what we find a lot of times is, you know, what we learn and talk about in here when we get out there, we fail to make the connection. We fail to take the steps, you know, to get to a place where how do I apply this? How, am I sure I'm doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? How do we use what Jesus taught to affect our decision making and, and what we're doing? So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple of minutes and talk just about that. In your bulletin, there's a set of sermon notes in there. It's really an outline. I'm going to use some terms today that we normally don't use here. They're in there. If you want to just jot down some notes, I'm also going to add three or four important questions that we need to ask ourselves as we go through this process of making uh, decisions. Okay, we're going to start today by, like we did the past couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple of key ways of how we view decision making for right and wrong, ethics, how we look at these ethics. So we're going to start right off with rules-based ethics. Now, just by the name, you know what a rules-based ethic, ethic is, right? You get a set of rules. We talked about this with the kids this morning. You get a set of rules from authority. You know, when we're kids, that authority is our parents. When we're Christians and we're believers, that authority is God, and God gives us those rules, and we set out to live our lives based on the rules that God gives us, all right? Now, to, to the degree that we follow the rules, we are right or moral. To the degree that we don't follow the rules, we are wrong or immoral. So in the Old Testament, we have uh, 613 laws, just not the Ten Commandments. We have 613 laws that are uh, that come from the scriptures that apply to this. If we go to the New Testament, we have another 800 rules in the New Testament that we can add to that. So we have 1,413 rules that we could use in this rules-based ethics, okay? And basically the rule says, here's what you do in this situation. But when you start digging into these commandments and you start digging into these uh, rules, what you find is that um, 
they don't all make sense. Now, what, there's a rule in the Old Testament that says that if your child is disobedient, disobedient, you stone them to death. Now, I have, I've had two teenagers in my house. You're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. That's not sometimes think, well. <laughs> but today, if you follow that rule, what's going to happen is you're, it's immoral. You're going to get in a lot of trouble if you do that. Okay? In the Old Testament, there's a rule that says when you build your home, you shall put a parapet on the roof. We don't even know what a parapet is today. A parapet is a wall that goes around the outside. Why? Because the restroom is on the roof. And heaven forbid you go up on the roof to pee one night and you fall over and die. I mean, you put a parapet there because that's safe living, right? Today, we don't have those, those types of things. So to us, it doesn't make any sense. When you get to a rules-based ethic, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes you have to uh, think about it. And we heard one of those rules today as it came to us from... Uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, right? The Fourth Commandment. You shall honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. Do not work on the Sabbath day and do not allow your, your beasts or your servants to work on the Sabbath day. So you look at that and you say, well, that's pretty straightforward. But then in order to get the rule right, you have to say, well, what exactly does it mean to honor the Sabbath? What, what do I do specifically to make sure I'm always honoring the Sabbath? And, and how do I keep it holy? What do I, how do I have to think, talk, and what do I do? How do I act to keep it holy? Oh, and what about work? What exactly is work? So I want to make sure I keep it holy and I honor the Sabbath by not doing work. And all of these rules end up with more rules. So if you ask those questions, well, then it has come back to you. So uh, what happens is we have all these other rules that come to us. And what happened to the Jews? They had all of these questions. So they had all this oral law that went along with it that was eventually written down in the, in the Talmud. Okay, so they write down these rules. But here's what happens. You, you end up with... Uh, these rules and you say what constitutes work well uh, you can only walk a certain distance on the sabbath because if you walk more than that it's working and the distance you're allowed to work to walk is in relation to in relationship to how far your closest neighbor is how far down the street the next house is so you're not allowed to walk except in in these instances okay you're not allowed to cook so you need to prepare your meal a day ahead of time if you're a seamstress or a tailor you're not allowed to walk and have a needle in your pocket because that would be working because you're a seamstress or a tailor for those of you, uh, those of us who are going to Israel at Thanksgiving, we're going to uh, experience a new kind of Sabbath law. If you, on Saturday, on Sabbath, if you go to get on the elevator, you're going to describe that it's switched to Shabbat. That means you can't push any buttons on the Sabbath. So that elevator, when you get on, will stop at every floor automatically. All right, they'll turn it back off on Sunday, so you can push the button and go straight up, but that's what happens. Uh, you're not allowed to write. You're not allowed to record things on the Sabbath, so you don't want to write things down. You're not allowed to do constructive tearing. Now, I don't know what that means with toilet paper, but I, I really don't want to find out either, okay? These are things you're, you're not allowed to drive. You shouldn't drive on there. That's working, okay? So you can't do these. You see what happens? What does work mean? You win to us endless, endless rules and a rules-based ethic that you have to have. So for every situation, there has to be a rule. You know, it's really hard trying to fulfill that fourth commandment. There's a rule for every situation, and you get to a place in your life where you just don't have enough rules. And all of you who are parents or been in a family, you just know there aren't enough rules. You know, there, there can't be an answer in it. You kind of you make it up as you go along, and then you find out there was a rule later, and you go, well, they never told me that, <laughs> you know? That's what the rule-based uh, ethics are all about. This drove, drove Jesus crazy. Okay, it, it drove me Remember last week when we talked about the woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees come and they bring this, this lady and they say, she's been caught in adultery. And you know what the scripture says, Jesus? 
If you're caught in adultery, you're supposed to be stoned to death. And Jesus says, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to show her grace. And it was other places. The, the Sabbath rule, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's what really got him in trouble. But he did other things. He, he also plucked grain and ate it on the Sabbath. He didn't ceremonially wash the way they required him to. So we look at Jesus and we say, well, Jesus really wasn't living this rules-based ethic. And, you know, Jesus said, hey, if somebody's sick on the Sabbath, I'm going to heal them, you know. It's not that he throws away the rules, that he discounts the rules. He says there's got to be some exceptions, and we've got to be reasonable here, or this is going to drive us crazy. Now, the opposite from the rules-based, so if the rules-based ethic is way out here in this end of the spectrum, then the opposite of the rules-based ethic is going to be the outcomes-based ethic or the consequences-based ethic. And what that says is it's moral if the outcome is moral. Okay, it's right if your outcome is right. So if I do something to somebody today and that hurts them, it, it ends up hurting them, what I did was morally wrong. But if tomorrow I do the very same thing over here in this situation and what happens is it helps someone, well, then I did the very same thing and that very same thing was morally right. You see, this can get very difficult to understand after a while. And we look at the outcomes-based ethics and say, well, that's what Jesus did sometimes. He looked at the outcome more than he did the rule, you know, and, and he thought this is, this is the way to do it. But, you know, there, uh, if we take this back to the 1960s, and we talked about the 60s a lot last week. I'm not going to get into that this week. But in the 60s, there was a person, his name, he was actually, uh, uh, well, there was a saying. It was, if it feels good, do it, right? That was the 60s, if you remember the 60s. And you go back there and you say, well, if it feels good, do it. Now, does that mean whatever feels good, you should do it, and it's right? Or are there some things we should think about that even though it feels good, maybe we shouldn't do it, all right? Maybe there are some things that would be, uh, unethical that we shouldn't do right there. And really what happens if you take this to the extreme, what if I said there are a thousand lives we can save out there today if we just take one person and we just take the blood out of this one person and use that as an antidote to save these thousand lives. Let's go ahead and do it. You'd say, no, Pastor Tom, that's wrong. You can't do that. Well, the outcome is good if one person dies to save a thousand, right? Well, no, that's unethical. You can't do that. So there's problems with this too. We have to we have to think about it. So we have rules-based ethics on one side, we have outcomes-based ethics on another, and then there's another, and that would be virtues-based ethics. So if we take what we think are the very best virtues, and we say, well, I'm just gonna lead my life like this, and if I follow the virtues of Jesus, it's gonna be compassion and love and mercy and grace, and Jesus told us when we see somebody who's hungry, you gotta feed him. When you see somebody who's thirsty, you gotta give him something to drink. You see somebody who's naked, you gotta clothe them, okay? And we say, well, that's what it's gonna be for me. I'm gonna live strictly by a rules, uh, or a virtues-based ethic. You don't get very far down the road until you see that person in the sleeping bag on the sidewalk and you stop to help, and you go another mile, and there's another person. Then you find somebody with a flat tire, and then you see somebody who might be hungry. Do you stop? And you see what happens is the virtues are so broadening. Not even Jesus could heal everybody in, in uh, the Galilee. So you can't work with just a rules or, or a virtues-based ethic because you have a life to lead too. Sometimes you have to drive on by and say a prayer. So there's not one of these situations that you just say, I'm living by this one, and it's going to work. There seems to be a combination of things here, and it takes something extra uh, to make this happen. So when we look at this, what we find is there's a landscape that's laid for us as these things, uh, you know, relate to everyday life. There's a landscape. There's, there's an ability to look at this and say, well, hey, I can get something out of each one of these. Now, when Jesus was 
teaching ethics and he's teaching things to do here. He wasn't talking to a whole bunch of people who had PhDs in philosophy or ethics, and he, they didn't know all that stuff. They were carpenters and fishermen. They were housewives and, and pottery makers. They said, Jesus, just tell us how to live. You know, when we go out there, the way we talk, the way we do, just, just tell us how to do it. We didn't know all these other things, and they, that's what Jesus did. So Jesus went about telling them how to live, and he had three simple rules for them to live by. And you know these rules. You've heard them before. Jesus gave three basic concepts. He didn't go down 1,413 laws and check them off and say, you have to do this. No, he said, do these things and you will live. If you live this way, things will go well for you. And the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now the question is, what does that mean when it comes to doing right or wrong? Now, with each of these precepts, I'm going to give you a question to ask, all right, that you can bump up against what you're saying and doing in life, all right? So what this says is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that in everything that you do, you're honoring God. The very actions and conversations that you have, you're honoring God if you do that. Everything that you talk about and you do, you want it to show your love for God and the love of God coming back, okay? So how do you make that work? Well, there's a question that you can ask every time you're about to do something. You're saying, is what I'm about to do going to honor God? Is what I'm about to do going to show my love for God and the love of God back? All right, that's the first precept and that's the first question. You can use this in a national uh, at a, a policy level too. You could say to yourself, you know, if I support this course of action, will it be reflecting the love of God and my love for God? If I follow, if I vote for this national policy, will, will it be a reflection of honoring God, right? Will this honor God in any particular pos uh, position? Denominational, political, you can ask that question. All right, the second precept that Jesus gave us is love your neighbor as yourselves. And it gives us a de definition of, this is his central ethical principle, by the way, love your neighbor as yourselves. We hear this over and over again. He's constantly teaching us the same thing. And it's not just the person who lives next door. It's love your neighbor, love your enemy, uh, pray for those who hate you and abuse you, all right? So there's a very wide concept of who uh, neighbor is. Uh, and it was always about love. There is no greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friends, okay? So we find the central ethical principle of love and the things that Jesus is talking about. In the 1960s, there was an ethicist uh, his name was uh, Joseph Fletcher. He was an Episcopalian priest. And he came up with something uh, that kind of applied to this, and it was situational ethics. And situational ethics um, had some good things, and it had some, some difficult things to accept in it. But what Joseph Fletcher came out of this with was one central question. He said, in anything that I do or say, I ask myself this question. You have to ask it to yourself also. Is this thing I'm about to do the most loving thing to do? Is this the most loving thing to do? And that's the second question that goes along with this precept, love your neighbors as yourselves. Is what I'm about to do, is it a loving thing to do? In this business transaction, is it the loving thing to do? With my employees, is it the loving thing to do? With my spouse, is this the loving thing to do? With my children, is this the loving thing to do? It's a great question. And you can use it on a national scale too. What loving thing we pursue? So you have, will this honor God? And is this the loving thing to do? The third precept, and you guys know this third precept. Like I say, you know all of these. 
but this summarizes all the law and the prophets. And the thing is, we learned this uh, when we were little kids. This was on the walls of our, of our elementary school rooms when we were little kids. You know, it comes to us, some don't know that it's scripture, Matthew 7, 12 from the Sermon on the Mount. In everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Golden rule, right? Yeah, third precept that Jesus gives us here. <clears throat> and basically what Jesus is talking to us here, the, uh, the most simplest way for me to put it, is you've got to walk in the other person's shoes. All right? Put yourself into that other person's shoes in all your interactions and all that you're doing. If I was the guy on the other end who was selling this used car that I'm about to sell, and I bought this car and drove it for a couple of months, would that be a loving thing to drive? <laughs> this, this house that I'm about to sell. If I was the one on the other end buying this house, and I had lived in it for a couple of months, would I think this is a good house or a good deal? We have to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and see what they thought. Put the, walk in a mile in their shoes for a while. And this is one of the principal organizing uh, ethics for Jesus. And this is the question that comes out of it. Would I want someone to do this to me? So that's your third question. The golden rule, do unto others. And the question is, would I want someone to do this to me? So with each of these precepts comes a responsive question that we can ask and that would help us along in our own ethics and decision making. Now there's a fourth one that I'm just going to add to this that really uh, the history of it comes from another place. Back in the 1890s there was a pastor in the Midwest, I don't remember his name, but he wrote, he wrote a series of short stories called In His Steps. I'm sure many of you have, have read this. And in these short stories he, he described these precepts that we're talking about today. And he tells a short story in there about a person who came to a church and this person came to the church and sat right up front and about halfway through the service, this person gets up and starts to tell their story. And this person tells a story of coming to this town and being in trouble, being sick and not having what he needed to get along. He could barely care for himself. He, he was so sick and he told this church, he said, you know, I, and I've come to some of you, I've been here and none of you helped me. He, he said, you talk a lot about what Jesus said, but I don't think you understand what Jesus is saying because you're not doing what Jesus was talking about. And after he's done talking, he sits down in the pew, and then just moments after that, this uh, stranger falls over and dies in church. And it shocked the, the church family. They were shocked. Well, well they all kind of went home in a depressed state, and they came back the next week, and the pastor stood up, and he gave this sermon. And, and in this sermon, he said, there's one question we're going to ask in everything that we do. Uh, you, don't, you don't talk to someone. You don't do anything. You don't, you don't even think anything without asking this question. Now, 100 years later in the 1990s, we revived this question, and we started putting it on bracelets and, and bookmarks and all kinds of stuff. What was the question? What would Jesus do? Yeah. That's always a good question, right? What would Jesus do? But there's, it's still kind of tough for us because we have to interpret what Jesus did in order to answer the question, what would Jesus do? But it's still a good question, and we still have to think about that. What would Jesus do? So we have those questions that we're supposed to look at that come from the precepts of Jesus that help us know the difference between right and wrong. But as we're doing this, I just want to share one thing with you that came from Wesley. There's a method that John Wesley had in order to uh, work through these decisions because they're just not that easy. There's, a, there's both sides to every story. But John Wesley came forward with four principles that he used in, in all decision making. In Coffee with the Pastor, we call it the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. That name was given to it later. 
And what he said was, in all decisions you first take, and this is the, the very foundation of everything, is scripture. You read scripture, you study scripture, you look at scripture, and out of the stories and the, and the law and the poetry and everything comes out of scripture, that helps you make a decision. Does this honor God? Would I want someone else to do this to me? What would Jesus do? It helps us to answer those questions. But Wesley also said, you have to add something to that. You can't just take scripture. There, there's others who have gone before you in tradition or in the church. That's the second part of the quadrilateral. They've encountered uh, most likely the same problem. How did they handle it? Did it go well for them? What does the church say about this? What does your Bible study friend say about this? How about your small group? What do they say about it? So you take the tradition or the church and you apply that to the scripture. But he said there's something else. He said there's experience. Every one of us has an experience. Now, Wesley was talking specifically about the experience of the Holy Spirit. So he said the Holy Spirit has moved in your life that helps you understand things. What through your experience in these types of areas have you been moved to do in the past and did that go well for you? And was it the Holy Spirit that moved you? So scripture, the church or tradition, and then experience. And then the last thing, he said, the most unreliable authority is your own reason. Apply your own reason, but apply it last. Does this sound right? He said, once you apply all those things in that order, he said, you can answer these questions and it'll be, a, it'll be a help to you. So we look at that today and we say, wow, you know, that is something that we can do today. We apply these things when we ask that question, will this honor God? What is the loving thing to do? Would I want someone to do this to me? And what would Jesus do? Okay, so Jesus is, is on the hillside and he's talking about these things and, and here's what Jesus knows. Jesus says, I can tell them these precepts and ask these questions all day long, but they're not going to remember any of it. But he said, what they will remember is a story. So over and over again, Jesus applies the parables to these things that he wants us to understand. And so it was on a day that we found the story that I read just a few moments ago, there was a lawyer in the crowd and he asked that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we know that story so well. You don't even have to be a person who's gone, been in the church all your lives. You know what a good Samaritan is. You know that just because it's been used over and over and over again. And Jesus goes on to tell them what this, uh, this anomaly, a good Samaritan, is there such a thing as a good Samaritan? And he tells the story of the priest and the Levite who walked by the man who was beaten and left for dead. And of course, you know, Leviticus tells us if they would have stopped to help and the man was dead, they would have been unclean for seven days. That means they would have had to cancel all their appointments. So they walked by on the other side and went on down. And then this unlikely hero comes by, the, the Samaritan, the one who has the bad theology, who, who we find is racially inappropriate, that we find lives in a place that's not right, has been oppressed by the Jews, and, and really is, is untrustworthy. This one stops, helps the man, puts him on his donkey, and takes him down uh, to Jericho. And, you know, he had to walk because they both couldn't fit on the donkey, and it was probably 15 or 20 miles less than the trip. And he, he pulled out two days' wages and gave it to the innkeeper to make sure everything would be taken care of. And what I think we find in this story is we were too quick to castigate, to cast aspersions on the priest and the Levite. Because how many of us would stop and cancel our appointments for the next seven days? How many of us would put a stranger on our donkey and walk the next 20 miles? How many of us would take out two days' wages and give it to someone else to care for a stranger? Because when I look at that 
story in this way, I find that we have so much more in common with the priests and the Levites than we do the Good Samaritan. But what Jesus is telling the crowd is, I don't care about the bad theology. What I care about is, this is one who got off his donkey and helped the one in need. When I think about uh, this story, I think about one of the great uh, sermons that Martin Luther King gave. There was a time in Martin Luther King's life, he wasn't feeling very well, but, but he was working really hard and he was doing his things. And this is a sermon that's really important, and it was on the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we all know it because he gave it the night before he died. He gave this sermon the night before he died, and the situation was he had gone down to Memphis, and if you remember, the sanitation workers in Memphis had gone on strike because they worked as hard as they could, but they couldn't make a living. They couldn't support themselves, so they went on strike. They were black and white. It didn't matter. So Martin Luther King goes down there, and the night before, he's saying, I'm, I just don't feel well. I don't think I can go do this, but he makes himself go and preach. And you know, when you look at the video of it, if you go online later and listen to the sermon, and you can look at the YouTube video, he doesn't look well when you're thinking that. He just doesn't look well. He looks like he's really, really tired. And we remember this sermon because he, he said words in that sermon uh, that go like this. He said, now it doesn't matter now if I die because I've been to the other side. I've been to the mountaintop. You know, I may not get there with you, but I've seen the other side. The eye, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And we all remember that because that's how he closed the sermon. And the next day, he was gone. But if we go back earlier in that sermon, when he was preaching about the uh, Good Samaritan, he said these words. He said, the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. He asked, if I don't stop to help this man, what is going to happen to him? That's the question before you tonight, he said. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day of every week as a pastor. The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? No, if I, stop to help the, if I do not stop to help the sanitation worker, what will happen to him? That's the question. And that's the question that we ask ourselves every day as believers. If I don't stop, what will happen to them? Look, Wayne Church and, and the visitors that are here today, I just don't want to be this the kind of place that we're, where we come in on a Sunday morning and we bask in the greatness and, of God and the glory and salvation and the everlasting life and all those things. This needs to be a place where we ask ourselves those questions. If we don't go to that IHN training this afternoon, the question is, what will happen to us if I'm late for lunch? It's what will happen to them? If, if we don't keep filling up that food pantry, the question is, what's going to happen to me? It's what's going to happen to the people who depend on that. That's why we do the things we do here. Will this honor God? Is this the loving thing to do towards other people? Does what I'm doing mirror what I would love to have other people doing to me? And what would Jesus do? I want people to look at this congregation and I want them to say, wow, they're changing the world. They're, they're doing something radical over there. They don't care about the rules. They're going to change people's lives. And they're going to do what's right. And folks, I think that's really, really how we live out our personal faith in the public world. We need to do that. Would you pray with me?